0: Hello, and welcome to Nobelis Oblige, the podcast where we rank Nobel laureates from 1901 until we run out of people. I'm Maggie. And I'm Quinn. Uh, And today is a very special day because I get to talk about books. (laughs)
1: This is what you've been waiting for.
0: Yes. uh, I, for context, uh, have a bachelor's degree in English, uh, and I am gainfully employed, contrary to what many people in the United States like to say to undergraduates studying English. uh, But I don't get to talk about books as much as I used to, and I miss it. Anyway, if you couldn't guess, today uh, we are talking about the 2022 Nobel Prize in Literature, which this year went to Annie Ernaux. She is a French author, uh, and she won for, quote, the courage and clinical acuity with which she uncovers the roots, estrangements, and collective restraints of personal memory. In her writing, Ernaux consistently and from different angles examines a life marked by strong disparities regarding gender, language, and class. Uh, that's all from the Nobel Prize website. So the way that the Nobel Prize committee and website kind of provide the background and like reasoning as much as they provide reasoning for their prizes is a little bit different than the ones they did for the science prizes, because science has a lot more like hard and fast rules. It's a lot easier to see when those rules change and when someone has contributed to something groundbreaking. So for those announcements, they have a nice little summary of the field and what the person did that kind of advanced that field. literature it's not quite the same they have a short little blurb that is just the announcement with the quote like that that i just read there's a little bit more but that's that's pretty much it it's short but for literature instead of that they have what they call a biobibliography which is kind of equal parts like a biography of erno and like a list of her works that i am assuming the nobel prize committee looked at it has most of her works are in french because she is french Uh, and then some in English so translations German translations Swedish translations and then some films and things I think it's also kind of a suggested list if you want to learn more and read the works of the person um, because they also had suggested reading that were about her but so I like I said I I have a degree in English I'm gonna say this with like slight authority (laughs) the the slight authority that just a bachelor's degree confers on me Uh, literature is a field with like clear movements and changes like over time and how people think about the way things like do work and how they should work and the rules around that it's not as clearly defined as like the laws of physics but like the reason everyone loses their mind over Ernest Hemingway for example who I think is also a Nobel laureate yes um is because his way of writing very like short concise almost to the point of not giving you any information like stories is wildly different than like the Victorian novels that were published in like the same century that he was born. He was Mm -hmm. born in 1899. So like that very clearly changed it, right? Uh, I think he died in the 60s too. That's like a really weird, this is a tangent, but like that's a really weird time period that like people did live through. Like Edith Wharton was born in the mid 1800s, like 1870 something, and then died well into the 1930s, I want to say. And that's like a lot of history to like very rapidly. Yeah, like speed run.
1: That's uh, that's like living in the now times.
0: Yeah, imagine. <laughs> um, maybe nothing has ever been precedented times. <laughs> anyway, to come back from that existential crisis, uh, Ernest Hemingway changed the game with how he wrote things based on the rules that had been established for books beforehand so like even though literature is a lot more nebulous in how you interpret it than like this is the speed of light and it simply is there's still like the way things are done and then the way things change when new and exciting people come along right so
1: so what um, you're saying is that this person redefined it some sort of genre slash
0: yeah so basically in
1: literature. there are
0: still things that are like clearly prize worthy and it's not entirely subjective it's going to be a little bit more subjective because it's it's a thing dealing with like human psychology but the way that it changed is is going to be more inherently tied to like the individual person because it's also a prize that's awarded to like someone in literature so it's going to be based on their entire body of work which right. is also going to be based around like the society and the time period and the person that that all happened during you can't
1: necessarily point to a single thing that they did and see like this is the thing that changed everything it's like the whole thing that they did
0: yes and how that whole thing kind of like adjusted how other people think about writing and stories and human society it's all very like squishy yeah so
1: as alfred nobel would have wanted it
0: yes (laughs) (laughs) you know the guy who google docked his will that created the (laughs) prizes so that it being based around like The person who did the writing, to an extent, is especially true for Ernaud, who, according to the New York Times, quote, has dissected the most humiliating, private, and scandalous moments from her past with almost clinical precision. The Nobel Prize site also talks about this, quote, her memory work dealing with her rural background appeared early as a project attempting to widen the boundaries of literature beyond fiction in the narrow sense. Despite her classic distinctive style, she declares that she is, quote, from Ernaud, an ethnologist of herself end quote rather than a writer of fiction
1: so so these are like autobiographical then
0: yeah so that's that's another thing that's interesting about her is that she seems to work in this space that's like she doesn't want to call it an autobiography or a memoir but she also doesn't want to call it straight up fiction um I think she started writing like autobiographical fiction which is like a term for like it's kind of a memoir but i'm embellishing and making it more interesting and like a nicer neat story but she did it so like brutally that people eventually were like this just seems like your life and she kind of she kind of gave up the pretense but mm-hmm. she still she apparently, according to multiple articles that I, I read about her doing the research for this, doesn't want to, like, set that hard and fast, like, that's what this is kind I of see. genre. It's, like, she she's operating she wants, in this liminal space.
1: She wants to be able to write whatever it is she wants to write, but she draws heavily from her personal experience.
0: Yes. Like, yeah. it, it is, it, I would argue that it leans more on her personal experience, but she's doing it in this kind of, like, she's also speaking just about, like, the human condition and, like, Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. I see. It's hard to really define, and it, that I, like, people in the articles that I was, right like, reading seem to not quite know how to, like, describe what exactly it's doing. Mm-hmm. I think you'd have to read her works. I did not have time for that today, obviously.
1: And you don't speak French.
0: Uh, yeah, and I, I, I do not speak French, and I'm going to have to attempt to say one of her book titles later, Later, so I'm just going to apologize to any French listeners we have for butchering your language. <laughs> yeah so she has around 28 works in french that's the list that the nobel prize website had they also had works in english works in german the titles were all in those languages so i'm not sure how many of those were like translations and whether any of them were like new things but like a a pretty solid body of work she like i said has had them translated into english german and swedish probably some other languages um, and many of her works examine like her upbringing in France, where she was born in Normandy in 1940. So during World War II, there's yep. <laughs> a lot to look at there. More specifically, they kind of dissect what it was like to be in a poor rural area, to be a woman, to be working class during this time period from 1940 onward. According to the New York Times, the things her books discuss also include, quote, an illegal abortion she had in the 1960s, her dissatisfaction with domestic life and a passionate extramarital affair. Apparently one of her influences was Simone de Beauvoir, which I think she's the one who wrote The Second Sex, which was that kind of revolutionary feminist work in the 1950s that basically was like, hey, housewives, if you feel really depressed and kind of like you're drifting, it's because you're at home all the time. And that's not what like the human brain is meant to do. I'm vastly oversimplifying it. But that's kind of what the gist. Yeah, that's the gist. And that's also like you'll notice that's right before like. The 1960s feminist movement right. revolution.
1: Yeah, I've heard, <laughs> yeah. so there's a there's a podcast that I listen to called Philosophize This, and they had a couple of episodes about Simone de Beauvoir. Yeah. She seems very interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so she's, like I said, she's also writing in this interesting space where, according to NPR, she's, quote, known for works that blur the line between memoir and fiction. The New York Times says she has described her writing as a political act, one meant to reveal entrenched social inequality, and has compared her use of language to, quote, a knife. We love that. Yes. To the point, very cutting. She seems, she's in her 80s now, and from what I have seen very briefly, she seems like one of those old ladies who's, like, not here for any nonsense whatsoever. The AP said that Macron, uh, the current French president, praised her and her works and the prize and everything, and she has not been that kind to him in the past. She is also only the 17th woman ever to win the Nobel Prize for Literature. I think that's also especially notable because the content of her work isn't something that's necessarily for an audience that's just like her it's not just for like women or french women or working class people or anything like that but historically especially in literature works focused on those things worse and like those struggles were seen as things that like men and like that's a strict gender binary but they they don't have to relate to them essentially so they kind of get shoved to the side a lot of the time yeah according to npr today uh anders olsen Uh, The chair of the Nobel Committee for Literature was asked if there was a political sentiment behind giving the award to someone who has written so personally about abortion. Olson rebuffed, saying the committee focuses on literature and literary quality. That said, and this is a quote from Olson, it's very important for us also that the laureate has universal consequence in her work, that it can reach everyone. So I like that that was their stance, was that, like, this is not something just for one part of the audience, but also we're not doing this politically. Right. It's just an experience people have. Right. People, generally speaking. Right. I think that since the Nobel Committee has, has come under fire fairly recently for focusing on a very specific population of the human race, I like that that was their approach for this specifically when they are awarding it to one of the few women who has won this prize.
1: Right. And uh, whether or not they meant it to, I'm sure that it does have, let's call it a, uh, a a relevance to current events.
0: Yes. Um. I also, and this is just me, this is not based on any of the research I saw, but the fact that it's kind of based in memory and memoir and how you unpack memory and all that kind of stuff seems relevant now with everything that's happened recently. And not just because it's like another crazy time for humanity, but- More specifically, there was a really great Atlantic article that I do not remember the name or the author of that I read a few months back talking about how humans tell stories to like form like a narrative about their life. And the way you do that can really affect how you remember things like psychologically speaking, like people remember their like trauma differently based on whether it's a story that has a triumphant end or like a tragic ending or it's still a problem that hasn't been resolved. So the the way you... Un- it's kind of like something you see in stories like Alias Grace by Margaret Atwood. Telling other people about the thing that happened and the way that you tell other people about it can change how you think about it for yourself and the way you think about yourself as a person, or like a society or whatever. So I think yeah. it's interesting that they picked her now.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense based off of like what I know about human evolution and things like that. Like we grew up as a species in like groups and like storytelling was how you like form cohesive bonds in that group and then and a lot of that has to do with like shared memory and all that kind of stuff yes
0: storytelling is important and i will die on this hill
1: yes i think that almost every important human endeavor basically boils down to telling a story
0: yeah i think I'm biased because I, I love books and stories in English as a stand-in for just literature in general because I'm American. Uh, you, I think, are also biased because you love D&D so, so much. I do
1: love D&D, but also, like, science, ultimately, like, I'm a physicist, right? A lot of what we do as physicists is, like, explain the things that are happening, we're doing it using a very different method than like a traditional storytelling, but like ultimately we're telling the story of like how the universe works and like more specifically, how does the universe work in a way that human beings can understand it?
0: I wish more of my STEM teachers in high school would have thought about it that way. (laughs) Maybe I would have understood more. Um, Yes, so I'm going to end this on a quote from her book, Le Vémo, translates to Happening. It was published in 2000, which I think uh, this quote really gets an experience that a lot of writers share from my own experience writing and also just from like all of the authors that I've studied. Quote, maybe the true purpose of my life is for my body, my sensations and my thoughts to become writing. In other words, something intelligible and universal, causing my existence to merge into the lives and heads of other people. Nice. Yeah, nice little human legacy, life moves on moment. Very cool. Yes, Uh, she seems like a very cool old lady. I wish I knew more about her before this so I could do her better justice. But here's a little bite-sized version of what she's about. I'm going to recommend the potato, just like as a concept and as as a lunch food. If you, like me, have a job that means you have very little time, even when you work from home, to get up and make your lunch, uh, and you're like, I have nothing... That is made in a short amount of time. Bake a potato. Like put a put a potato in the microwave. Microwave it for like five to seven minutes, depending on the size of your potato. Lots of butter, lots of cheese, and some salt. It's delicious. And it's very filling and it has like good nutrients and it's not ramen. Yeah. Potatoes. They're good.
1: I'm gonna recommend the Neil Gaiman Norse mythology book because it's so it's a collection of Norse mythology but it's different from a lot of like other mythology collections that you might get. Cause a lot of times they, they're like, here's just a collection of myths that are like kind of disconnected from each other. But the way that he wrote the book is it's still a collection of a bunch of Norse myths, but he has like a through line and they're connected in like a way that I think is probably more authentic to how they would have been originally thought of as like stories of like actual you know, beings that did stuff and were part of like people's active belief system, and you did a really good job.
0: So tomorrow, Quinn will tell you all about whoever wins the Peace Prize. I'm sure that won't be loaded with any current events landmines.
1: It's either gonna be <laughs> it's either gonna be something very specific about something going on right now, uh-huh. or it's gonna be something completely unrelated, and I have no idea which.
0: Yeah, today was a nice little break this this doesn't need to go in the pockets but today was a nice little break in the news cycle because like not that the last three have really been like hyper relevant to current events but like everyone pays attention to the science prizes uh and nobody paid really paid attention to the literature prize that's that's its own thing uh of which i have opinions about but like that's not what it's going to be like tomorrow. No. <laughs> tomorrow everyone's going to be paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so Peace Prize tomorrow. Get a nice little break from our voices constantly in your ears. And then Monday, I will attempt to decipher economics. <laughs> and that will be fun and a treat for everyone, I'm sure.
1: Maggie drew the short straw.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing I should understand, even if it's its own little logic system unto itself
1: but we're in the back half we're halfway done with nobel week over halfway
0: done happy nobel week to all who celebrate (laughs) well you'll hear us again tomorrow also i we're you're stubborn enough that we're gonna end up getting the podcast out but it will be recorded in the like 10 minutes between two things that we're both doing all day and edited in a car probably so (laughs) Whatever happens, happens. But I
1: promised we would have an episode out every day, and we will.
0: Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Bye.
1: Bye. I love potatoes. They're so good. They're Uh so good. Little card balls.
0: I just have Samwise EMG in my head now. <laughs> Boil them, mash them,
1: stick em in a stew. Yeah.